0: Where we, we read, so, so you, you don't, don't have to, you but... we got the cadence down. F- oh, shit. <laughs> <Miles>. <laughs> Start it over.
1: Welcome to The Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read, so you don't have to.
0: Here you'll find clinicians and researchers discussing cutting-edge research from the embodied relational sciences explaining why and how people work together to find healing. Hey, welcome back to Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to, but we would love it if you did. Nailed it cut <laughs> that's how you do it that's how you start an intro right there that's fantastic i, I realized it's good uh because uh, every once in a while there's you just gotta kind of listen to what you said to to, to really know what you're gonna say now because this is a time warp sometimes <laughs> really recording these episodes and i realized that our intro is such a soft quiet (laughs) intro and then we just start every episode with a ton of jokes and we're just very happy.
1: (laughs) I feel like that's how you and I are in real life though. Oh yeah. Like when we first see each other, it's not just like, hey how you doing? No, it's meaningful like it's at a nine. It's at a nine with like humor and yep curse words. And and, then we'll settle in. And then and then it gets real good. (laughs) And then it gets it's good before but then it gets like (laughs) real good. Real good in a different way. Real good in a different way. So Uh. I think it this podcast just beautifully kind of mirrors our our relationship. Oh. well, that's so sweet. That oh, was sweet. <laughs> Welcome this everybody. Is sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want to hold hands, like <laughs> I'll hold hands. Uh, if you're driving in your car, just like two dudes just like reading research,
0: it. making jokes, kicking, it. <laughs> playing around with very serious concepts, <laughs>
1: very ser- <laughs> super serious concepts.
0: So if you haven't. Uh, Listen to the last episode or really the last like six episodes because i remember last time it was five i think look at that so wow if you haven't listened to the last six episodes highly recommend go ahead as we're going through a series of articles that are looking at restructuring a conceptual view of neuroscience and the brain from a clinical neuropsych perspective um, and really trying to reorient away from just a particularly constructural and modular view of the mm-hmm. brain to more of a systems view a, a working process that mm-hmm. involves kind of a non-linearity to it which I will just say and own at the start feels much more um, kind of generous to the process of therapy knowing that there are there's not a linear process in therapy I don't know yeah. I feel like when I was first introduced to something like EMDR the the wish fulfillment of having something that just goes smoothly so A strong. to B, and then you get to C. Um, but then learning that even something like that has its kind of offshoots and trails, and you know, client system is gonna kind of throw some strategies in there in a positive way. Um, and this perspective of the brain feels like it's really helpful for understanding those complexities. It's not just that trauma impacted the logical thinking Mm. and now we're just left with emotional thinking Um, this construction of the brain is much more um, generous to the adaptability and complexity that we um, really experience on a day-to-day basis so last time what we talked about is we're going through the the part three article of this series we'll do part four next time But we just honed in, particularly on the basal ganglia, and looking at how the basal ganglia is a structure in the brain, kind of deep, sort of in the center zone of the Mm -hmm. brain. That's uh, whole point is to modulate signals. Where and we didn't say this last time, but I think this is important because we we didn't we didn't mention that the medial temporal lobe, which includes something like the amygdala, Mm -hmm. hippocampus, um, parahippocampal networks. Mm shoots information through the basal ganglia and the cortical striatal system so in that way the basal ganglia is this big um, discriminatory system that is kind of choosing and selecting what feels most important to vertically pass on to 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 these yeah cortical processes that are a little bit more articulate Mm -hmm. um, explicit and nuanced yeah Um, And I think that's really important to understand that our brain is not just, you know, different levels of modulation kind of working on things at different times. And then they just easily come together. But there's not only systems, but now levels of systems Mm -hmm. from bottom to top.
1: Yeah. Um, The way it uses it topographically organized. I love that language. It's like a map. Yeah. And that it, it stacks and both horizontally and vertically.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really important, you know, just for the people who maybe are more aware for hippocampus and amygdala and common nomenclature and therapy is that those are horizontally organized mm-hmm. structures. Yes. Not vertically organized. So, in order for the information in those systems to be thought and reordered Integrated. semantically. Yeah that they have to go through a vertically organizing process. So they're
1: doing their work horizontally. This is one of the pictures of the last episode that I really loved when we were talking about the concentric nature of energy and information exchange in the brain. It is vertical, but all of these systems are doing their work horizontally. You know, as well. As well, yeah. yeah. And simultaneously. Then simultaneously or parallel and that requires then a vertical organization of the brain, which is one of the... Prior to Koziel's work, the closest thing that I remember us talking about was Bruce Perry's neurosequential model, which mm-hmm. did yeah. talk about vertical organization um, and sequentiality of that vertical process. Mm-hmm. But this, to me, really gets into n- vertical in Perry's work, to me, still conjured a bit of a linear, just mm-hmm. in me, not saying Perry, I don't, I've never talked to... Bruce. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> oh, uh, Bruce, but uh, in me, it still was track it as the sequence progresses. And then in the neurosequential model of psychotherapeutics, you would understand where the work needs to begin because of that vertical yeah, transmission. Where there,
0: there are underdeveloped parts right. in the vertical process.
1: This article series from Koziel and colleagues shows to me the parallel and We've used this word of the, of the apparent simultaneity mm. of the interacting large-scale brain systems. Yeah. So, yes, you could conceptualize it as a horizontal loop and a mm. vertical loop, mm-hmm. but it's not just traveling along the path of that loop linearly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I lo- the authors do use the language of looping, and yeah. that was a key point that we um, brought up last time as helpful construct to understand kind of the reciprocal influence Mm -hmm. that these higher parts of the brain and lower parts of the brain have on each other as they're simultaneously you know working upwards and downwards they're working across and there's this sort of if you think of a loop it goes in every direction at some point and it returns back to that point at another point so there's like two points of contact in every direction which is Mm -hmm. A really good way to understand the brain. Yeah. So then what we're going to kind of shift into today is to focus on the second half of the article, which talks about the cerebrocerebellar system, which is the cerebellum, uh, for those who may have heard that and not the complex cerebellar, cerebellar cerebrocerebellar system, mm-hmm. which is how the cerebellum connects Two. to the, cere- the cerebral cortex, mm-hmm. these neocortical zones, um, and then look at memory then because i I think this is like a once you start to identify the complexity of your brain and its influence on your body and your body's influence on your brain memory takes on a totally Totally different different, yeah it is just not what i learned in bioscience. no no
1: no. (laughs) and i i love that we use the hand model just for something tangible last time Mm. but the cerebellar system if you look at the the areas that are associated with that system, it to me just blows your mind. Like, mm-hmm. if you mean these are connecting in a circuit mm-hmm. <laughs> together and dependent, then one on on one another? Yeah. It is, you know, the the area if you closed the the hand model, of the brain. It's the area of your forefingers up front. Cap. The thinking cap is connected to. I mean, I don't know where you would put it, Caleb, but to me, it's like right on the back, like the wrist,
0: yeah. kind of where like when you close your pinky there's like this weird muscle the, on the back the bulge of the yeah, yeah. it'd be back yeah. there
1: yeah exactly so low low hand you know high wrist connection there is is connected and in its function to the forefingers um through the pons and well yeah, yeah we'll get into yeah. that but when just it, amazing yeah. what we're going to talk about today
0: in a very oversimplified way it's how these deep brain Uh, sensory structures of how I am a physical entity in the world moving (laughs) in space connects to these high cortical zones of thinking about how Mm -hmm. I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. And maybe to kind of, as a last primer from the last episode, one of the things that was key to this article is restructuring the idea of what is executive functioning? And really executive functioning, thinking about, how do I plan what I'm going to do and choose it?
1: And choose it and then do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I love the language you said last week of the illusion of choice Mm -hmm. and that this kind of idea of the brain really makes sense of some of those ideas of like, oh, I know what I want to do, but I keep not doing it. Yeah. How do we make sense of that executive function? Not as maybe a, oh, you're lacking executive function, but that there is a certain level of executive functioning happening Below conscious awareness yeah. that we need to spend time with and integrate. Um, so, you want to jump
1: in? Oh, I'm so ready. Because
0: I think we primed. I, well, I think I we feel got all primed. primed. Yeah. Hopefully, listeners, if you don't feel primed, maybe just go spend an extra hour and a half and <laughs> listen to the last episode. Get a little primed in. Yeah, that was a yeah. good little. Uh, that was a good and I little would just primed. like,
1: if you did even listen to the episode and you're like, man, I, I feel like I don't know what they're talking about, just go like. <laughs> like halfway through the last episode and you can get like the trajectory into this one <laughs> you'll pick up the motivation yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. launch yourself into yeah, yeah. this space yeah. and time yeah
0: and make sure that motivation is desire-based and not shame-based and just dispel the shame of you like you have to or you should no no. Um, no it's just a playful invite yeah so if you want go listen to it go again. listen to
1: it again. <laughs> if you want uh, i love
0: that all right so there's this cerebrocerebellar system, system. that has something to do with the vor- vertical organization of the brain. And executive function. Have you ever heard of that? Have you ever heard about this idea? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm not um, ready for this episode. <laughs> You're like, actually, no. No, I'm just waiting for you to tell me. <laughs> well. No, I 100% agree okay, with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to me, and even just in reading it again, it is just such a reframe from a modular understanding of the brain. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like in my own education, the cerebellum was, like, left out. And that's, again, because of the quantitative and conscious bend of much of our education that, well, it's below conscious awareness. And really all it's doing is homeostatic functioning. Yeah. That's all you really need to know. Well, very much, yeah.
0: Uh, And it's interesting you say that because I think in other works by Koziol, he has two books that are fascinating on executive functioning, attention, and... um, Uh, subcortical networks and one of the things that part of his work does is just give like a history of the cerebellum where we did just think because lesion studies stroke studies and different kind of biochemical showing uh, inhibition yeah
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, have a lot to do with basic sensory movement so then people just kind of you know said oh that's a really dense part of the brain that has something to do with complex movement. So we'll just kind of say like, yeah, the cerebellum must work somehow in tandem with the thalamic and hypothalamic parts of the brain yeah. to just modulate basic body movements. Mm-hmm. And that's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, then, but then for Koziel and, and many other people who have done a lot of research, Koziel's really just summarizing a lot of research uh, the connection to the cere- uh, cerebral cortex yeah. then starts to really nuance. Oh, and and they say this like what the cerebellum does for movement and action, it also does for thinking. I love it. Which then becomes like okay, so now the cerebellum isn't just a movement
1: movement externalizing yeah mm-hmm.
0: templating movement. Mm-hmm. Now it's templating movement and thought.
1: Yeah, thought of movement. And, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. This this prediction action oh. link and. Um, yeah, so at this point you've have we've kind of already given we like, gave it away. We no. gave the cerebellum and the cerebro cerebellar system away. One of the things that uh, one of the quotes that I just really love is at the bottom of two fifty seven where they say, in other words, while operating together with the cerebral cortex as an ensemble, mm. the cerebellum decides what information is or is not returned to the neocortex, thereby regulating the strength and quality of neural signals. Um, so, it in that way it may sound similar to the basal ganglia, because the basal ganglia is also choosing what should go on and what should kind of be kind of yeah. um, you know disintegrated, and for lack of a better term, like pushed away and and prioritized for the cortex to process but it they go on to then talk about in the section what does the cerebellum do which nuances it a little bit away from the basal ganglia of just discriminating mm-hmm. like thought processes and and experiences into also exciting this mm-hmm. which is the last part of that regulating the strength and quality of neural signals. well
1: yeah so i wanted to let's touch on neural signals for a second mm. so developmentally this the importance of this becomes really clear because the strength of neural signals if you remember just high level dance eagles what fires together wires together mm. so the the strength and and goal of the neural signals is really uh, something that is developed gradually over the course of our development, that our brains start off as just masses of interconnected but largely non-specialized systems that need experience and reward to show where the neural signals can be pruned mm-hmm. and not connected and otherwise specialized and, and invested in mm-hmm. from uh, uh myelination standpoint. So that's where the strength of the neural signals and the efficiency of the interconnected systems become super important. I just mm-hmm. want that to be like really clear by regulating the strength and quality of neural signals. What is doing that is the cerebrocerebellar system in its mm-hmm. experience of self and other. hmm Yeah.
0: And yeah, oh, and I love at the end, the experience of self and other. Yeah. So in that way, the the cerebellum is getting some of the reward-dependent neural signals from what the basal ganglia has, you know, modulated in some way.
1: Previous experience. Yeah, yeah.
0: And the cortical networks have chewed on and digested. Mm -hmm. And then the cerebellum gets that information in the feedback loop through the brain. And as you know we keep going on through life the cerebellum then provides more and more templates that connect with the information it's receiving from these other systems yeah yeah
1: i was working on something that um like where does bottom up and top down information processing begin to interplay because at the beginning of life this is like a weird gray zone of Mm. like where does that Where does top down really start to have more influence than it previously did and Mm -hmm. what's the like wax and wane of that like you know seesaw yeah Yeah. (laughs) because bottom up you know predominates early developmental experience Mm -hmm. but from the first loop of behavior response reciprocity Mm -hmm. you now have previous experience affecting current experience Yeah. Which that really then gets super important. Like when you start to track back, like what information are you incorporating into current experience in a way to make sense of it? Yeah. Like how early does that go? Yeah. Is what was just like blowing my mind. Because Mm -hmm. when you look at like seven, six or seven years old, you start to see some top down functioning show itself really explicitly to where we can easily categorize it. Mm -hmm. But that's like seven years of life seven plus years including gestation and etc mm-hmm. where we don't really know right now what the relationship is between the cerebrocerebellar system yeah like to me that's one of like the cutting edges of this research is like yeah oh i don't i don't know like yeah. how soon does the cerebellum say i remember yeah
0: when and remember in what way yeah and i think that's like an interesting there was there's a part of this discussion that isn't part of this article, but we could go into like the difference in words that people use in different times that, and I'm thinking of the difference between recalling and remembering Uh and recollection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is just me. I would hypothesize based on what I've read that the the uh, cerebellar cerebral system is remembering like the whole time yeah like from the development of the brain, it is remembering these templates of sensory motor processes. but then, I love looping in. then there's a there's a moment where these cortical top-down modulating processes start to have an effect like what you said, how much of the current experience is getting integrated into how you're making sense of the world yeah where then, recall gets prioritized yeah recollection yeah Mm -hmm. as a way of like making sense of the present experience
1: into automaticity yeah or yeah like influencing Mm -hmm. this is one thing and not the other
0: yeah and why why that feels important is because the cerebellum you know not only is it they talk about how it optimizes the expression or performance of whatever behavior or thought activation, chooses. the brain chooses to do. Yeah. But then later on, they also talk about how the the uh, cerebellum in its predictive function can transfer s- similar yet different templates mm-hmm. of behavior or performance or expression onto current moments that are different, mm. but from the past have been you know integrated into and quote unquote learned. And I think that that just feels important because, you know, how much of the cerebellum is being included in the process? Is the cerebellum just choosing to continue to augment the recollection of the past, mm-hmm. or oh. is the cerebellum remembering—hyphen membering in a way that is open to the prediction error and mm-hmm. ne- necessity of a new template for the present?
1: Yeah, and we are now into a different realm yeah but it's super exciting yeah to me because like when you talk about what could modulate the difference in the cerebellar functioning between recollection and remembering hmm. what comes to mind for me is attachment safety hmm. why you would be more open to a prediction error more information yeah yeah then I want to disengage from the explosion of information and choose previous experience to fire an automatic behavior.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And to think back to last episode and what we were talking about with rewards, like in some way the previous behavior had to have worked. And that's why it makes more sense to use now when heightened stress, like, and you know, many different writers have said different things, but the quip that stands in my mind is, you know, with increased stress, we devolve. So we go backwards in time, quote unquote, to check on older templates that worked more more predominantly, yeah. Um, And when we had less resources, yeah. And so then, kind of trying to make sense of, uh, we're so far already into this conversation, but trying to make sense of integration as health, yeah. And how these vertically organizing systems are key in understanding more or less integrative capacity. In the brain and of these large-scale brain systems
1: yeah i mean to me when you think about stress from this standpoint you're looking at increased information confusion of neural signaling and oh i had the third one um oh and uh lower degree of confidence mm. Mm. in in the precision mm-hmm. like that to me is what stress when i say like i'm stressed or like the overwhelm of you know i don't know like what Mm -hmm. to do you see that increase of information confused neural signaling and the lack of confidence in the precision of the behavior selected
0: yeah yeah which is then a very like when you're overwhelmed when there's a lot of information and you're overwhelmed what do you do you 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 hyper focus
1: yeah click down yeah yeah simplify
0: yep you go to these simple templates of basic processing
1: yeah and the seeking (laughs) begins to really like click yeah like oh i just need to get out of here or like i need to yeah you know the the rush of hypervigilance
0: yeah yeah one of the things that i find really fascinating particularly about the cerebellum is uh that they make a note that essentially uh, in the understanding of what the cerebellum does and helping with executive functioning and guiding executive functioning. Uh, They talk about how um, as a task is practiced and becomes more familiar, there's a transition from controlled to automatic processing. And part of the reason for this automatic processing is Mm. because of the transition facilitated by the cerebellum in copying the content of cortical working memory which contains the sequences of movement and sensory characteristics necessary to perform the task so the cerebellum is making a and this is so interesting an unconscious part of the brain is making a representation representing an experience to hold for more precise sensory motor learning yeah and sensory motor does not mean it's not got thoughts in it. Or affect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Emotion. the inclusion of all of that in a body-based expression or performance of whatever the brain is choosing to do it in any given moment.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the images that came to mind as you were talking about that, I like how it, it represents, and I think about the cerebellum as holding mm. the meaning made unconsciously of previous experience as this is one way it could go Mm -hmm. based on all the behaviors we did the effects they had and how we then were able to walk away from this Mm -hmm. so let's see how this goes right now but if we need to we know this one went this way yeah and so we're going to see how this experience goes we're going to be open to it a little bit Mm -hmm. (laughs) depending again on, on how safe we feel but we have this as a measuring stick in a way to say We know how this one went
0: yeah yeah and in that way like if you think about it that helps the brain become more precise over time 100 percent. like it doesn't have to always be checking with these other parts of the body to see what it's you know what information you know what to do then i can hold that activation and even my cerebellum can excite more of that activation so that then i can look to learn what my hands need to do yeah. or look to learn mm-hmm. what my head needs to do or my back or whatever, these other parts of my body. Mm-hmm. So then you get more precise, precise um, templates over time. That um, feels so beautiful uh, and and uh, important to learn about the smoothness of some of the very complex things we do in our day-to-day life.
1: Yeah. Um, and. I love moving from the complex there into the simple because right after that, when it's talking about learning new behavior, it says any new behavior requires direct cortical sensory feedback for proper execution. So that at that stage, really, when you're learning something, it it is a Top down, bottom up, bottom up, top down, like that's that cerebro cerebellar system feedback loop is engaging. And then the sensory motor feedback operates very slowly because of just the time it takes for efferent and afferent signaling from brain to muscles to action in the environment to cerebellar. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. 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 So with that to me, you know, seeing the cerebellum as holding that representation as a predictor becomes really clear the usefulness of that function yeah this is going to take a long time to like learn this thing and so we got to be ready for what could happen in the time it's taking to learn
0: yeah yeah and yeah they talk about like the control models of the cerebellum (laughs) allow us to engage in behaviors in real time because they allow conscious cortical sensory motor control our sensory motor feedback to be bypassed,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: allows us to like adjust even as we're doing it in ways that don't require these slower cortical cortically modulating processes. Yeah. Um, that's super, mm-hmm. that's super cool. And, and I like, I keep wanting to go back to the reality that they're Koziel and colleagues aren't referencing the cerebellum simply as a sensory Um, sensory motor limited
1: part of the brain
0: um, (laughs) that they're they're talking about as you develop complex movement you develop complex thought and they talk about this in 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 some ways with memory and early childhood and and some of the amnesic experiences but to think of like the anticipation of a thought Or of a way of being in the world gives what it's so dependent on how I think I will be in time and space in the Mm -hmm. body Mm -hmm. and if we're just looking at executive functioning from a cortical lens we will totally miss the complex array of what the brain is really doing yeah a simple kind of anecdote to that for me that shows up a lot in therapies when people struggle to imagine being different in spaces
1: Mm. than they have been previously yeah yeah, Yeah. so
0: being panicked in a crowd you know there's so much complex arrhythmia happening in the brain that is analyzing who they have been across time Mm -hmm. and what they are limited to in that space so then thinking from a you know where am i going to stick this stick to stop the spoke from spinning. Yeah. To change
1: the behavior or.
0: Yeah. To hit some sort of prediction prediction Mm -hmm. error or to just get the brain to slow down a little bit. One of them is, can the brain begin to integrate new, new or, and by integrate, maybe it's bring in previous learning or just new learning altogether from other areas that the cerebellum is holding of how they are in different zones. So, in a crowd, they're panicked. With me in the office, they're calm, regulated, and they feel playful even. Yeah. So then playing with what are the signals and sensory motor cues that the template of you in the room in the has now. Mm-hmm. and can yeah. catch on to that is not being excited or sought or seen or felt out there in the In the big room where
1: you live. yeah what i i love what you're saying as an example of how our clients learn something new in the session not cognitively like oh that makes sense but learn it in their body Mm -hmm. and they're talking in this example in a cognitive example they say about mathematics but i think what you're talking about is really applicable to counseling or to psychotherapy mm-hmm. um, it says after, I'm going to do some replacement just with this but after learning the cerebellum immediately recognizes the configuration of affective values like what you're doing in the room if you can be playful with me what is it like now to consider what this means to the preceding maps that you've created so it says uh, configuration of these maps and immediately knows the sequence that needs application automatically and effortlessly without giving the matter a second thought. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, with, with yeah. When it can see that, oh, this, this actually can apply. Mm-hmm. Like what I'm having right now with you can through understanding what stimuli I'm picking up on that makes me feel safe now, mm-hmm. I can imagine what that would be like with you
0: out there. Yeah. And they use the phrase the cortex retains what the cerebellum learns. Oh. And in that way like I mean that's why stuff like polyvagal theory and EMDR resourcing and like yeah. so many th- therapeutic like um, thoughts of what is therapeutic for humans focus on the felt experience of safety that then can be held and transferred into alternate settings. Yeah. And really what we're talking about is, is the cerebellum picking up on sensory motor possibilities and representing that to yourself, the self. in a way you can be in the world. Yeah. If you can do that across time and yeah. consistently, then you will be able to hold that more often in your cortex, your your conscious awareness. Like being in the in the room with a lot of people, you can hold. I don't have to be. Well, this is me transposing or kind of transferring a thought into the, a therapeutic experience. But I don't have to be panicked every time, every in this time. space right? Which is in itself a mismatch error.
1: Yes, yes. So I want to. You said it, and just like we we kind of moved on with the example. But when you talk about polyvagal theory and EMDR resources. We're looking at an like so much like a more intimately deep understanding of why those things matter Hmm. to the self than just a cerebral exercise. Yeah, it's not just about you know the the content, the the numbers, and the um, ways of checking suds and checking VOC and all of those things like that. It is great from a behavioral standpoint for us as therapists to measure the effectiveness of the intervention. Mm-hmm. But when we're actually engaging with the client in it, you're setting up something that will be taken with. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole goal. In memory. In memory to yeah. be represented to the system to say we felt different here. Yeah. Than we do now. Perhaps we could use. Yeah or carry forward the activation there like when um I remember this is a long time ago now when we were talking about self-regulation um that we as therapists just need our clients to self-regulate and then they're better and what I remember you and I talking about was what about what about re evoked co-regulation that I don't want you to force top-down regulation just because you should quote unquote through redirection and competition of stimuli, recognition, et cetera. I want you to evoke from the bottom up remembered co-regulation. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the beauty of, you know, as the cerebellum learns and integrates a possibility dependent on an other, eventually they learn the possibility dependent on the other inside the self. In the memory. Which that, like, that
1: is that's freaking amazing yeah i mean and this quote to me it being the cerebellum adapts to the changing library of the cortical content of the experience automatically because the control model bypasses time-consuming thought by instantly anticipating or predicting the operation that needs application Mm. so it's taking away any conscious consideration because of the strength of what you were just talking about, Caleb, but the internalized representation mm-hmm. of the co-regulating other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I feel like we're already kind of branching into the idea of memory, which happens to be the next step yeah. that they they discuss. Because if you're thinking of how the cerebellum holds these templates, and broadly speaking you could say holds templates of self and other and other could be other objects in the world or other people in the other world other beings um, other spaces yeah and you know the complexity of that depends on the complexity of integration of the sensory motor experiences into the cerebellum but you know the the cerebellum holding these self other templates that are being consistently checked by the cerebral cerebellar system that then gives way to an understanding of memory and saying like, okay, how do we make sense of something that we've talked about on this podcast, episodic memory, Mm -hmm. my experience of certain things in the past, semantic memory, my memory and kind of truth of what is true in the world. Yeah. My story of truth, something like procedural memory, which is my ability to just automatically drive a car, go through the, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, perform sensory motor, like, for uh, tasks,
1: upright, sentient,
0: health. Yeah. yeah, in a way that has the need or end goal met. Yeah, like how do we make sense of the ongoing? And again, Coziol at all is very interested in the adaptation of this that is consistently happening across development. Yeah. So the brain is consistently adapting these large-scale brain systems to best meet the needs of our ever-changing
1: world. Something so subtle in the beginning of this section is to me reminding us of what it is to be human. I know that's a grand (laughs) assessment of this first sentence, but inherent in all problem solving or in adapting to the ambiguity of novelty, we must identify or discover the stimulus-based properties of the problem. To me, what that sentence does is it orients the role of memory not just to random um, files in the self that, you know, mm. collect for whatever reason. It's always associative to stimulus recognition. The mm-hmm. reason we remember is because we're still detecting and experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: that, that being kind of connected back to the Bruce Ecker memory reconsolidation articles that we've reviewed is... One of the things Ecker's work around memory reconsolidation focuses on is shifting through a process of uh, disconfirming memory and ad- and supplying the system with a new learned ter- new learning opportunity mm-hmm. is to shift the semantic memory around an experience, to shift the meaning of something mm-hmm. so that then a new learning can be experienced. But with this, Kind of conceptualization of the apparent simultaneity and the looping process hierarchically and organizationally in the brain you can see that kind of it gives light maybe to what ecker was struggling with with mismatch relativity and that you know you have to engage certain parts certain sensor motor parts of procedural and episodic memory to then start to shift semantic memory and then once it's you it's sh- through, yeah. Like that's and then the once you through. shift mm-hmm. the semantic memory, then you get a reorganization again. Yeah. Then you have the mismatch prediction, the mismatch error, um, then hits these other areas of the
1: brain again. Yeah.
0: Which then has another wave of new learning. And, yeah. and it
1: has to be realized, like that yeah. is it, it has to be plugged in. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's just in that labial period of reconsolidation mm-hmm. that. Isn't going to lead to actual change.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think that the important and we're throwing around all these different categorizations of um, categories of memory, but the the idea of like executive functioning being limited to declarative memory. So what I can declare explicitly, yeah, and consciously, re- yeah, recall mm-hmm. to you in language uh, explicitly. Um, is a misnomer. I mean it's, it, it's lacking. Limi- it's limiting. Yeah. Um, we're not we're not just having an absence of declarative memory in trauma. We're having a we're having a complex limiting of firing for the sake of adaptivity mm-hmm. through the basal ganglia for a specific reward that is now diminished to a certain level because of a heightened perceived threat.
1: And dissociation. Yeah yeah, yeah
0: which then gets encoded in a template that goes to the cerebellum and and the cerebellum and cerebral cortex work together in a complex ever-changing. Where is this
1: useful? Where is it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And that then becomes a part of our procedural executive functioning, Mm -hmm. that we have this procedural memory world that is kind of automatically making meaning for us on an unconscious level deeper in the brain so again this is the vertical organization yeah pattern drop this executive functioning down mm-hmm. and see that this is not just a problem of can i talk about it this is a problem of how i'm making sense of my body and time and space with others yeah. that then is reciprocally limiting my ongoing experience of the world
1: yeah um, i was just thinking about an example in a couple session i was i was in where tone of voice Hmm. is activating Um, and to me it really well highlights this concept that we're talking about here where the content of the argument is not what is activating once we actually can see it Hmm. it's the tone of voice which is that stimuli cue for previously stored Experiences in the cerebrocerebellar system mm-hmm. that, when that tone of voice is used, it conjures up a load of meaning from the past, not even associated with this person. Yeah, but it then creates a behavioral activation pattern of shutdown for a for a time, and then attack other mm-hmm. like big energy towards the other person. Mm. So that was a really interesting loop to go through to find there's this sequence of behavior that has fingerprints all over it of yeah. dad mm. pull away shut down until dad is knocking like you know breaking through the door basically of my room and then i have to fight with them
0: uh yeah yeah I, well and i love and then i have to fight with them because there's the body movements. yeah there's the cerebellum you know through certain levels of kind of vertical organization maybe through the basal ganglia of mm-hmm. you know discriminating what this is and what this is not yeah then gets and again we're talking about this couple's in the present
1: this couple's in the present and those experiences are years and years and years yeah ago. so yeah.
0: think of how much what this is and what this is not yeah. is being kind of parsed <laughs> apart yeah and uh segregated in a different way or like pulled in different directions organized, yeah organized sort of, yeah and then get put into a complex sensory motor um excitation that the cerebellum says we know what to do Right. We have a template. We have a sensory motor learned template for this. What do
1: you think about, we don't know what to do, but we know what to do. Mm. Like, I don't know how to make sense of him using that tone of voice right now. But what I do know is that that tone of voice is bringing up some really dangerous cues from previous experience. Mm. And so mm-hmm. we're going to go ahead and activate that cycle Yeah. until we understand more about what this is. Yeah, But we don't know. Yes. And we don't feel like we have the access to functions that would better fact find or or information gather. Yeah. We already activated the behavior.
0: Yeah, because what we know has already been organized to prioritize threat.
1: Because it's detrimental, what happened in the past. Yeah. 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 And Mm. what's interesting, which this just spins up even more, is this person's father had died. And so there was this cutoff with complex grief all around it that i hated him and i miss him but the way i was with him i wish i could change now mm. which is if you think about that it's like are you talking about your dad or are you talking about your husband mm. or are you talking about your husband and your dad mm-hmm. like almost saying to the other her husband i wish i could change this yeah but i don't have access to where i learned it yeah and so it feels like it's just spinning like in um inner uh no in inception mm. the top is spinning in the vault yeah like i can't i can't get into that yeah it's just there yeah it feels like i can't touch it and it sorry this is like a, i'm sorry i brought this case up cuz it's like such a fuck like it's so fascinating to me yeah but the the rationalization in them is that well it's actually not ever been articulated this way but just as i'm talking about it now to change the behavior would lose the memory of my dad Hmm. like to go back and actually do some of that work what if he's not there Mm -hmm. and i miss him but i hate him Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's the
0: that's what we're i mean that's a very complex way of saying the very same thing of like if i try to be someone else in the room other than panicked i might lose myself because that's it the sensory motor organization of self
1: is organized around
0: is organized organized around that specific learning template yeah the action the prediction action linkage
1: but that's what the reason i brought that up is because when you talked about very early on in the episode that the cerebellum does not only affect external behavior but also internal thinking Mm
0: -hmm.
1: about behavior, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Well, to me, and when we link it with what this article did, which is the basal ganglia, we talked about it as the culture of the interconnected brain and the cerebellum, the roles that they're playing are filled with implicit meaning. Just like if I, I love how you said it so succinctly that if I change how I'm behaving now, I'm going to lose who I was. Mm-hmm. And if I lose who I was, I don't know who I am. Yeah. Like how quickly though that fires. Yeah. He's been dead for years. There's no reason for me to carry forward that relationship into my relationship with my husband.
0: Yeah. Which is the complex. Like while I was reading this article, I was like, well, no wonder sensory motor EMDR has become such a such a prevalent part of the EMDR world. Yeah. Is because EMDR was in be, for a good reason and developmentally focused on more of the explicit declarative memory
1: what can you remember and we were
0: asking people in these reprocessings to imagine being different without having a bodily experience yeah and so again the cortex retains what the cerebellum learns so we were is it no yeah the yeah, cortex yeah, yeah, retains yeah. what the cerebellum yeah, it's, learns yeah, it's, it's, so so We were asking the cortex to try to do something that the cerebellum hadn't learned, hadn't actually embodied and engaged. And so,
1: right? Is that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm,
0: I'm, okay. I now I'm second guessing myself, but yeah, yeah. the cortex retains what the cerebellum learns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were, we were asking clients to try to come up with a different cortical imagine imaginative experience a different way of being but the cerebellum hadn't had the learned experience of being different yeah while being different like Yeah. yeah and so then you know it makes a lot of sense why okay well let's pause let's pause the bilateral and you actually start to embody some of this and then we'll go back to sitting with it but your body first has to activate or or, and really it is activate it's not reactivate but it's activate the potential of being different mm-hmm. before it can integrate that possibility yeah um, and when I think that's you know from this article like that makes a lot of sense yeah that the cortex is is getting a version of a disintegrated not a disintegrated but a prioritized thought. Through the ba- basal ganglia as the ba- basal ganglia is kind of modulating the activity and f- sending it upwards but then what the cortex is retaining is dependent upon what the cortex and the cerebellum have worked together on mm. f- to provide a template of self other in the world mm-hmm. and in that way if we're just working with declarative memory i think we're we have a high potential just augmenting strategies yeah, I mean,
1: I don't know how it would just be happenstantial that it yeah, would yeah. lead to anything other than that. Yeah. Not because of, I mean, when you see it through these lenses, when you're working just with declarative memory, you're like arm wrestling mm. <laughs> with the, the sense made of the cerebellum without actually interacting with it. You're trying to say, no, just change the declarative as opposed to the episodic and procedural of the now. Mm. like you're not answering the question of the cerebellum of like why would i change what i remember and Mm. execute any or choose any other behavior you're not addressing what i'm representing to the self yeah and that's lived experience it's real Mm -hmm. as i remember it but it's real yeah so there's no way i'm gonna change like if you want me to tell a different story to get through this conflict (laughs) Mm -hmm. i can do that yeah and show a temporary state change but in terms of trait level, characterological sense of self and accompanying behavior, there's no touching it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Which is, I mean, again, makes so much sense of what Ecker is doing on a very high constructural level. Yeah. Of, you know, the difference between extinction and erasure. Like, yes. we could we could tell the cerebellum. We could we could not even surprise the the system or the the client, but. We could just give them a new way of being, which is like a coping strategy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Try this. And it may happen substantially integrate into because of like you're asking the client to do the coping strategy while they're actively firing a stress Mm -hmm. template. Yeah. It may deconsolidate that and reconsolidate a new way of being, but that doesn't always work. Sometimes the reliability of this self other template that the, Cerebral cerebellar system has yeah is just too, too surefire yeah and so then it's like what well, who
1: cares because it's biologically driven to be certain mm-hmm. yeah you know that that's again to me just de shaming of why I can't change even though I've been doing therapy whatever yeah like the cerebellum is biologically driven to be as close to certain as possible. Mm about the choices it's making and the behaviors it's executing yeah so you're just fighting against biology like Mm -hmm. i say that all the time like in therapy that it's not your fault like change takes time and it has to feel relationally congruent yeah otherwise yeah your body won't change
0: yeah yeah at at one point i'll just read it because i'll get it wrong and that'll frustrate me yeah um they say uh, semantic, episodic, and autobiographical recall are dependent upon distinct retrieval mechanisms that interact and can be dissociated. One of the things that I wrote in the margins was integration equals health, which is a Dan Siegel idea. Yeah. in um, thinking of what you were just saying of, you know, we have to seek at a certain level an integration beyond just The explicit what we're talking about yeah and if we just talk about things with clients without paying careful attention and conceptualizing the kind of hidden activation patterns that are present just the fact that i'm asking maybe someone to talk about something without moving their body on a couch yeah needs to be kind of understood and 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 attuned to maybe of like Mm -hmm. maybe we don't need to sit on the couch because the mismatched relativity that we need is going to have to include you activating your body.
1: Yeah. I was just talking about this with a client this morning who, you know, really wants answers mm. for why can't I change? Mm. And talking about this dynamic of therapy isn't about creating the change. It's actually about increasing motivation and felt mm. sense of safety to change out there. Mm. It's not nothing about this dynamic is actually going to change you quote unquote it'll give you lots of great ideas lots of attunement to self lots of recognizing and making meaning and and feeling the potential Mm. to be different and we can talk about all of that but it's only when you're able to take it outside that anything will actually change I feel like it's just like super sobering but also really uplifting for me yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's like I don't I mean yeah I wish i could change you too Mm -hmm. i wish i could just reach over there and like dial up something else yeah but you're a relational system yeah
0: yeah we have to feel the shift here yep before we'll
1: generalize it out there yes yes feel before we can anticipate and Mm. look for that prediction error yeah which is going to hopefully lead to change yep and when you then look at what awaits them outside of the room and how embedded these strategies are Mm-hmm. it's like yeah it's gonna take some time mm-hmm. and probably some really dramatic changes like mm-hmm. relationships can end
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. boundaries can be set that are long overdue causing immense pressure
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: but is it worth it mm-hmm. and that's a question not for your conscious executive functioning it's the cerebellum's going to make that choice like, yeah
0: the deeper oh, parts of your know. meaning
1: i don't know if it's worth it yet. yeah yeah i'm interested though yeah i'm open
0: wouldn't so easily parts work? Yep. Ego state, IFS stuff, and you know, everybody, I assume, is aware of that now. Especially if you're listening to us, but yeah, <laughs> you know, the idea of personifying and templating that deeper part of you—that's yeah. like you know, I have clients say that like, why can't I change? Why why do I keep not changing? And like I said it, like, well, it might be that your conscious executive functioning part. Isn't the part that's actually choosing? Yeah, that it's your it's your Literally, unconscious
1: executive functioning part. I've drawn a circle on my whiteboard, and I have a sliver of it showing. Mm. You know how much of you is present, etc. But that everybody in her current life has relationship only with that sliver, mm. and that's my way of saying the conscious part of you
0: mm-hmm.
1: is keeping back so much that to introduce them to any of these parts, which she has a fun loving part and then a angry part mm-hmm. that if they were to come forward, they would cause havoc in her really fragile and rigid uh, sliver would mm-hmm. yeah. be a big problem. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You mm. feel like anything else you wanna add we're I into think. part four now, which is clinical yeah. applications.
0: Yes. Clinical applications. We'll talk a lot about learning, memory, um, executive functioning, and attention. Attention. I'm excited to
1: give in. some some therapeutic clinical applications because that fourth article yeah. goes into a lot of like neuropsychological implications for measuring yes. and yeah. things like that, which we'll talk about, but making clinical applications as well. I yeah. feel like a lot of vignettes or... Case examples can come up. R in order. That's right. R <laughs> in anticipation, <Yes>. baby. Like <laughs> you could put that on your anticipation action <laughs> list. Your
0: prediction action linkages. Oh there is some neuroscience I feel like joke.
1: Coming right there. Put that on your an, anticipation <laughs> list. <laughs> Funnel
0: that into your anticipatory networks. Uh, oh. well, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh oh yeah. Uh, join patreon and uh <laughs> go like, watch our youtube their shirts and, and stuff and mugs we have and merch and so connect journal. beyond healing.com. you can get links to our patreon our merch yeah um we've got a lot of cool stuff going on yeah and also we're kind of dependent on people <laughs> to support us because we also are full-time therapists, therapists so all. this is kind of our side gig so yeah. If you love what you're here and you want to support, please do, because that helps us would appreciate. spend more time doing it.
1: Yeah, so. would appreciate it. Yeah, 100%. Cool. Thank you, brother. Yeah, you too. Appreciate you. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you stay curious and create community around discussing the research that matters most to clinicians and researchers.
0: If you're curious to learn more about something you heard today, check out our website at www beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming case conceptualization trainings and community events. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com.
1: If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes. Leave us a review and follow us on social media by searching the Evidence-Based Therapist Podcast.